Good morning, good evening, good night, listeners, readers. This is Bud Talks Podcast, episode 121. Today is Saturday, August 8th, 2020. And I got my partner on the line. We're going to be talking about fasting today. But before I actually have him introduce himself, I do want to give a quick update on Bourgeoisie. This is my book one of the Divine Nine trilogy. Still in the editing. Uh, a lot of things are changing with the plot and what the story's about. And I might talk about it a little bit later with my boy who's on the line right now. And also an eye between my haiku for those who haven't got themselves a copy. It is on Amazon.com. There'll be a link in the post on WordPress. So thank you to all my WordPress followers and everyone who follows me on the digest, the Facebook page. And without further ado, Hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, kind of what this podcast will be about and kind of the overall mental state of being for me personally. And this is also why I have my boy Mark Jacobs on the line. So, Mark, what's up? Yo, TK, what's going on, man? Not How much. you been? I'm good. I'm good. You know, working, turning the wheel every day, chipping away. Um, Absolutely. Hopefully staying coronavirus free too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, man. Keeping the immune system healthy, keeping the body strong, the mind tight. That's how Absolutely. I, I roll around here. Um, so just quick kind of backstory on how Mark and I met. He we met in psychology class, right? Back in Eugene, Oregon. Actually, T, it was the uh it was orientation, wasn't That's, it? We yes, were both for yes. students. Yes, you're right. Orientation. Yeah. Yeah. So tell them, tell them a little about where you, where you from, what you do. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I'm, I was raised out here, down here in Los Angeles. I'm a little bit South of you, TK. Yep. And, uh, I, like Terrell just said, we met at the university of Oregon when we were both transferring in, you and I were the only two Brown people at that orientation, we you know, were. only people of color there. <laughs> so, you know, naturally there was that, that like, Oh, Hey, I'll see you, bro. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, so since then, you know, we became friends We traded numbers that day. And by the time I moved up to Oregon, you know, you were the, you were one of the only people that I knew. So from there, you know, we became friends and we spent, you know, two, three years at the university of Oregon together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so ever since I, since we graduated, I moved back down to LA, you stood up in Portland, but, um, you know, we still keep in touch, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I know a, a lot of our, I mean, we, again, we go way back to, it's been 10 years, I think it's, or 11 years. I think years. so, man. Yeah. I, I transferred to Oregon in 2009. Right. And you were coming from, uh, what community college down in LA were you coming from? East Los Angeles Community College, man. Even got my <laughs> associate's degree. So I remember. Like, Go Huskies. Yeah, you used to represent the ELAC, wasn't it? <laughs> Yep. Yep. And, and and we had a friend, too, who who saw me wearing my ELAC sweater out in Oregon. Right. And he looked at me and said, are you stupid? Like, why are you wearing that ELAC sweater? <laughs> <laughs> you got to represent, man. You got to represent. Yeah, I was actually I coming to. from I was coming from Lane Community College at the time. So that's right. That was uh, quite the transition, quite the years, I would say. A lot of a lot of learning experience. I think college is weird for a lot of people, man. Uh, we're, we're forced into choosing something that, you know, we think we're going to do for the rest of our lives. But up until that point, we've had nothing but a, we've, we've had all the adults telling us what's important. Right. I, I didn't get to choose many classes in high school. Everyone told me that I needed to take this class. I needed to take that class. 
in junior college, they told me what classes to take for my general education requirements. And they would always, you know, say, you know, don't worry about it. You'll figure out what you want to do later. Um, so college is just weird, man, especially in the United States. We're not very specialized. Yeah. But I think that's a different story, right? It is. And I can, we can, I think we can definitely have a, a podcast on that itself. Like, I, I, I think I only went to college because I didn't want nothing on my resume. But, you know, life happens. You get that experience and you move on. Uh, man, more and more, especially with, with the coronavirus shutting everything down, it, it really goes to show. I mean, I hope I, I work in education, right? Full disclosure, I am a high school teacher. I teach 11th and 12th grade English. Mm-hmm. And I, the longer I'm in this system and with the coronavirus shutting everything down and forcing the schools to adapt, I'm really starting to question the value of of higher education. I I don't understand how places like Yale and Harvard are charging, you know, $40,000, $50,000 a year to take classes on Zoom, right? (laughs) I mean, it just goes to show you what what kind of value their education has when I'm going to be giving classes on Zoom. Nobody's charging my kids $40,000, $50,000. Why are they going to take it at at Harvard for $40,000, $50,000? It's strange, man. It's strange. So so your students aren't, are you guys even going back to the building or is it all going to no. be remote for a while? It's going to be remote for the fall semester. And I mean, I, I think that takes us in, you know, barring any changes, the way it's looking is that we're going to be teaching remote up until 2021. And mm. uh, between you and me, I, well, between you and me and whoever's listening to this podcast, <laughs> I, I'm cool with that. You know, I, I like working from home, right? My rent is probably my biggest expense, and and then I enjoy, you know, spending time at my house. So yeah, I'm with so you. So I'm that. cool with the team. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been working from home for almost two years now, and I, I think I'm just built for it. So I'm not I'm not complaining. I do miss the people engagement, but that's that's just kind of what everybody is going to be dealing with or has been dealing with anyway. So it's no different. That's right. That's right. So the reason why I brought you on, I mentioned earlier fasting. So I'm going to, before I have you kind of open up about your experience, and I really want to kind of stay focused because I I think fasting is one of those topics that there's a lot of science behind it. But for me personally, I have, so everybody knows I'm a writer. I, I write, you know, miscellaneous freelance articles, poetry uh, random creative writing prompts. And this is what an eye between my haiku is. So everybody can go and get that on amazon.com. That's an eye between my haiku. Uh, anyways, but (laughs) these, these creative writing prompts and these in my, I guess my writing journey really was kind of sparked out of a childhood. I, I I like to say dream or passion. I was always a creative mind. I was always a, somebody who was really delving into imagination and storytelling. So I don't really have a lot of, basically what I'm trying to say is I don't have like a degree in journalism. I don't have a degree. I didn't go to school for writing. This is kind of like an organic journey for me just to kind of put myself out there as a writer, because for me, it's kind of been something I've been doing since I was a child. So for you, Mark, I really want to kind of hear your experience about coming into fasting. So just, what I see on your Twitter is really inspirational because let me tell you, man, 
I snack a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a, a snack monster. Yes, I'm a, I'm a cookie monster. I'm a snack monster. However, in the last six months, since the pandemic, I've been really cutting back on it because it's hard, man. Like, especially writing, I, I get those little anxiety jolts and, you know, I, some people call it writer's block. Um, but for you, tell me how you started off with it and kind of what got you started, how long ago and kind of your experience the, today with it. Okay. 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 So see, the short answer is I used to be fat and I think I, I wouldn't be alone with anyone else who used to be fat in thinking if you were fat and lost weight, it's, it kind of, it's this complex that stays in you, you know? Me and my buddy used to talk about it. It's like the fat boy complex. You used to be fat. And when you lose weight for a long time, you still think that you have that, that fat with you. And you still kind of wear the fat, even though you're not fat anymore. So th- what made me want to start, how I got into it, was just the desire to not be fat anymore. <laughs> I was, you know, I grew up the short little fat kid. And, and, you know, even throughout college, right? I mean, throughout high school, let's say I played football, I played sports, I played basketball and all the advice that people gave me about like weight loss, right? I would be in the weight room and, and I would notice that regardless of how hard I worked out, regardless of how much weight I lifted, I mean, I was never really strong, but regardless of how much effort I put in. I was never able to look like the people I saw on magazines. I was never looking like Arnold. And I thought, well, damn, I just got to work harder. I thought the blame was on me. And for years, that's how I went about. um, That's how I went about looking at weight loss and how I can not be fat. I figured it was my fault. I'm eating too much. I got to cut my calories. I got to work out harder. I always put the blame on myself and you know, over time, it was just something that, that I always thought about. It was something that I dealt with. And back in, it was when? I think it was 2015 or so. I read a book, right? Go figure. Books. People still read long-form books right. uh, like yours, right? <laughs> <laughs> I read uh, Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Body. And, and that started me asking a lot of different questions, Um He is in his book, he's a proponent of the slow carb diet, which is basically beans, greens and protein. Right. Eat as much as you want, but you're only eating a protein source, some sort of bean and um, anything green. So kale, cabbage, broccoli, any cruciferous vegetable. And. Uh, I, he said, do that for six days a week. And then on one day you go crazy, you have a cheat day. And I thought, well, this is, this seems doable. Let me try it. And I started doing it. And, you know, over time I noticed that my pants started fitting a little bit thinner. And I think that's where most people who have ever tried to lose weight, um, that's where they first see weight loss happen, right? If you ever try to lose weight, you don't see it in the mirror. You feel it in your pants size and your waist size. You need a you need to tighten your belts another notch. You need to you need to buy new clothes in extreme in extreme examples. So for me, I started doing that, and I thought, damn, this is this is great. This is working. I didn't see much difference, but I felt different. Right. So I did that for a little while, team, and I would listen to the guy's podcast. And 
I think the Tim Ferriss podcast, the Tim Ferriss show or whatever is, uh, it, it's huge now. It's like Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss in terms of, of podcast lore, mm-hmm. right? Who's kicking out the most content? Who's cooking out the most episodes? And I listened to it for a very long time. And I came across the episode where it was Tim Ferriss and Don Diagostino speaking to each other. And Don Diagostino, if you've never heard of him, T, or if you're interested in looking him up, Google the man. He is massive, huge, right? I don't know how tall he is, but he looks like he looks like Arnold, right? He looks like he can like pick you up from the head with one hand. And their conversation revolved around a ketogenic diet, which I'm sure you've heard of, T. It's all it's like it's in the news everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And with that talk of a ketogenic diet, because I still didn't know what the hell a ketogenic diet was at the time. With talk of that. They, you know, that conversation mentioned fasting and this just blew my mind, man. I, I, I didn't think it was possible to skip eating. I thought you had to, you had to eat five, six times a day to get the metabolism going or whatever. I don't even know what the hell metabolism was. I was like, (laughs) five, six times a day. Sure. All right. I, I can do that. I can eat that much. I didn't understand. And this guy's just saying everything is the opposite of what people had been telling me. And I thought, well, I, I, I guess I, I can I can skip eating. You know, he said he went he didn't eat for a week and he was still able to work out after not eating for a week. And I figure if he went for a week, you know, I, I can try it. And little by little, I started trying to go, say, for example, uh, 16 hours. Right. I, I heard a lot about. 16, eight fasting. And I I would not eat for 16 hours. And then I would have a window of eight hours where I would eat. And just little by little, I would try to expand the amount of time that I was fasting until one day I just said, you know, fuck it. Can I say that to you? My bad. Yeah. You can say, <laughs> I, said, yeah. I said, fuck it. And I went five days, <laughs> five days, <laughs> and uh, five days, five nice. days. no, no, nothing. At the time, I wasn't drinking a lot of coffee or tea. So it was just five days of water. And it was fucking miserable. <laughs> oh, wait, how long ago I, was I, this? This was back in 2016. Okay. 16? Yeah, 16. It was in 2000. It was the fall. September of 2016 was my first five-day fast. And I did it all water. And I didn't know anything about the sodium loss. Uh, the electrolyte loss that happens when you fast. And there were a few times once where I got like really dizzy during the fast. I was like, whoa, what the hell was that? I was like, ah, whatever. I'll, I'll be okay. I powered through it. I finished the five day fast. And, and then I started realizing, okay, now that I know it's possible, what are the intricacies of this like, re- you know, reasonably or relatively extreme kind of thing. Right. Because, I mean, you tell people you didn't eat for five days and they look at you like you're an alien, right? right. You tell people you haven't eaten since like 8 a.m. and they look at you like, oh, my God, you need to eat. When really, you, you don't have to eat as much as people think they need to eat. So it, in terms of how I got started, it, it started there. And I guess I, I know I'm kind of going on, but let me just say that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my buddy Avin. Um, when I was, this was after college, T, it was 2012, 2013. 
I was living in Japan. And similar to how when you and I met, um, me and this dude, Avin Torres from New Orleans, again, we're, we're at a bar, we're, we're hanging out with a bunch of, uh, with Japanese people, and the other foreigners that are there are all, you know, not brown. <laughs> so when, when me and Avin saw each other, we looked at each other and it was like, oh, hey, the other brown guy in the room. And after that, you know, we became really good friends, and he told me a lot about intermittent fasting. I didn't really dive into it there, but that was and something that I think I should mention, just because I know, like, he he definitely started me off there. So this was when you were doing like the uh, the inter- so you mentioned intermittent fasting, and that that's that's something I can kind of more relate to because I don't, my, my goal by the end of 2020 is to do a five day fast. I'm more of a 12, 16 hour faster. I haven't done a 24 hour fast in a while, but for me, like you were mentioning, you meant you, you, you brought up the idea that you had to eat every meal of the day. Like I felt the same way, including snacks. I mean, I I consider those snacks like my 10th meals of the day, especially when I was smoking (laughs) wheat. I was smoking weed a lot, like morning, day and night. Like it, it was and, and this is kind of what took me into those days where I mean, if you look at a picture of me from maybe 2016 when you started fasting, it almost mm-hmm. looks like my face is swollen compared to now. Like so I didn't even know I was gaining weight. Like somebody told me I was buff and like I got I was getting I think I was just getting fat <laughs> at the time. But for the most yeah. part, I had to kind of break that same idea that you did around feeling like I had to eat every meal and keep in mind, I've only been doing this fasting thing for, it hasn't even been a year and I've only done maybe a handful of 24 hour fast. But as far as, you know, you mentioned you were, you were feeling dizzy at one point. What has yeah. been the benefit that you felt like within your body, like in terms of like, I guess, focus and mental state, do, do you see a well, difference with that? Oh, huge, man. Huge. Right. So think of um, where, you know, we we're taught that we eat for energy. We eat so that we can, you know, use that fuel, use the food as fuel and we can do things better. If you like stop to look at what your body does without you knowing what it does. Right. I mean, right now you're blinking right now. Your lungs are breathing right now. Your heart is pumping. Right now, it's like you have blood running down to your toes. Given not a lot, but you have blood going down to your toes. You obviously have blood rushing to your, not rushing, but like flowing through your brain because you're thinking, you're having a conversation. There are all these little things happening in your body. Now, when you eat, you are putting this foreign substance inside of you, well, whatever. You're putting something outside into you and you're telling your body use this so the digestive process it uses a lot of blood and it uses a lot of energy think about how you feel after a thanksgiving meal <laughs> What's, how you feel after that right do you want to go out and play turkey bowl after Heavy. the thanksgiving meal <laughs> Like, no, right? Like, after a meal, after a, a, a huge sandwich, shit, I want to sit down on the couch and do nothing, right? Right. But when you don't eat, 
the blood that it takes, the energy, the calories that it takes to process the food, to digest that food, doesn't have to go there. So the blood and the energy and the calories, whatever you want to call it, flows to where you want it to flow. Hmm. So if you're working out, increase blood flow. If you're you know, working on, I don't know, math problems, shit, it goes through your brain. If you're doing a podcast and you're fasted, which, <laughs> by the way, I am right now <laughs> since yesterday at 5 p.m. was when I had my last bite. So when you're doing anything you're, and you're fasted, you're doing something in a fasted state, your blood is not, you know, pulled in two different directions where it needs to go up to your brain so that you can deal with the conversation, with deal with work, deal with school, whatever, and deal with the digestive process. So your question is, how do you feel mentally? Incredible. You're on. You're sharp. Nobody ever looked at Mike Tyson and said, man, he looks like he just had a big meal. <laughs> so right. They looked at Mike Tyson and said, that boy looks hungry. Right. He looks like he's ready to kick your, you know, he's kick your face in, right? He's, right. It's, it's not, um, it, it's, it's counterintuitive. You know, we think we need to eat for energy and we do eat to eat to sustain ourselves, but we don't need to eat as often as we do. Right. I think it's a, 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 a very U, United States point of view where we think, Bigger is better and more is enough. But really, when it comes to food, I, I often think that less is more. Yeah. No, you hit the you. So I especially with that, that uh, Thanksgiving meal <laughs> thing, like so I'm a breakfast guy. I love breakfast. It's been what hard. Kind of breakfast you eat, see? Huh? What kind of breakfast do you eat? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> man let's talk about breakfast so i i will go as big as like french toast sausage eggs and bacon and fruit which i will definitely pass out within the hour like i crash hard <laughs> between 11 and one o'clock and it's frustrating because i mean my mind is spinning but my body like you said my, my body is trying to process this heavy meal that i just took in so it's digesting and my brain is like, come on, let's go, let's go. So it's almost like a really big disconnect for me personally because, you know, yep. kind of speaking about you, you were talking about how the body is doing so much without, you know, you being aware. I meditate twice a day. And during when I'm fasting, I'm actually able to meditate into a deeper state. It's almost like if you've ever smoked a lot of weed. I mean, yes. we've all smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> Think about that that euphoric feeling that kind of I, I hate to use this word like it's almost like a mystical sense because everything becomes now you almost kind of get that sense of stopping thought and Nail I've been on able the head, dog. yeah everything I've, becomes now yes you know yes. like that's that's definitely a meditative feeling for sure uh -huh. but when you're not eating when your body's not digesting whatever you put inside of it you know every two hours or every three hours or however often people tell you to eat then you're you have more time you have more resources biologically to go up to your brain and it's a lot easier to get into that meditative state where everything becomes now yes and it's I, if, if you're meditating, if you're into the spiritual, then, I mean, bro, there's, it doesn't matter what religion you are, 
Jesus Christ, he 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 uh he fasted, Gandhi fasted, um, who else? Muhammad fasted. Like it, it's people have been fasting for millennia. Yeah, and if you know the story of the Buddha, he he fasted for I think his oh, entire yeah. yeah his entire journey. Buddha? Yeah, <laughs> he he fasted for his entire journey. I think he was drinking his own piss and eating a grain of rice. Like Ooh. he got to the point where he almost died, but. Here, here's here's the point about his journey, kind of the purpose. Well, actually, not the purpose, but what the outcome was. He essentially he found that you can't really take away desire. Desire doesn't mm-hmm. go away from the body. What you learn to do with fasting, you know, being in that state of you know now, is that you learn to channel that desire to better places, so that mm-hmm. you can actually have better, I guess, outcomes. Of action, so for me, when I, I I don't like to eat and then meditate, it's more like I meditate in the morning, and then for like twenty minutes on an empty stomach without having eaten. Like sometimes I work out and then just want to eat dinner after that, then go to bed, wake up, meditate, and my body is just kind of like in a very tight focus point where I can yes. actually make the best decisions on what to do for the day. And it's really helped with anxiety too, because I cut out a lot of sugar. I was a sugar monster. So yeah, sugar. Yeah. I, I remember college, dog. We both <laughs> yeah. had all. We we had the munchies, bro. Yeah, yeah, hell Where yeah. We, the munchies were at your place. I know you was always hiding them. There, <laughs> but, but I definitely had the munchies at my spot, bro. And and that last year when I was living um, on 14th and Alder, right there with Ariana Murphy, uh, she had the Costco card. So we go to Costco and it's like, man, we had croissants and we had gummy bears and we just had all this garbage. Man. Sugar's a killer, man. Like sugar, that's the real pandemic right now. Yeah, it's made a it's made a very big difference in my like state of being because not only not just fasting, but taking out the like you you kind of set the body to an expectation, right? So with sugar specifically. If you're eating sugar all your life, it takes a long time to wean yourself off of it. It's it's kind of like a drug addict in a sense yes. where you have to re- wean that body's expectation of intake. And it took me a while to stop eating gelato and gummy bears at one o'clock in the morning. It took me a while <laughs> to stop eating five bowls of cereal in one setting. Like, And I was Oof. still, I thought I was like good because I was still working out. But the thing is, yes. I wasn't as productive with like focus work, for example, writing i wasn't as focused and even talking to you i i wasn't always as like my mind would i like to call it the well i think i heard it turned as monkey mind like literally your mind is like kind of going all over the place but Mm -hmm. with you know setting the body to certain expectations you train it to focus on one thing at a time and that goes back to meditation does yeah exactly exactly it starts with the body you know, T, I hear you talking all this, and, and it, it brings up the point to me that a lot of people don't realize the disconnect. They don't, or not the disconnect, they don't realize the disconnect and how it's connected. So, for example, you, you would say that when you would eat, you know, gelato at one in the morning, you, you would talk to your friends, you talk to me, and then you have a monkey mind going. And I'd be talking at you, and you really wouldn't be listening because the monkey mind's going on, right? Right. And, and I don't think you're unique in that. I think that if you talk to 10 people, 
they have that experience where, you know, yeah, I hear you talking, but really I, I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to think about. I'm wondering if, you know, my T-shirt looks good. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, what, 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 who's that girl over there? I'm wondering whatever I'm thinking about that isn't what you're talking about. Right. And, and when you meditate, obviously you get better at, at focusing on and identifying when you're distracted. But the, the, to go hand in hand with that, what you eat affects that. So if you're eating gelato at one in the morning and then you're waking up to five bowls of cereal, <laughs> it, it's, it's not like you're going to be able to, you're, you're not going to be in the best situation, the best position to be paying attention to anything. That sugar, man, like that will, that will make sure you are unfocused. Yeah. It will make sure that you're inflamed. And the inflammation doesn't just go to your stomach. I mean, dog, I'm at a point now where I eat so little sugar that when I do pig out, right, if I have a crazy cheat day, I, I, I break out. I get pimples. And it's, it's like, man, I haven't had a pimple since I was, you know, in college. I was like 20. I'm 32 now. So to think like I'm 32 with a pimple, how the hell? And it's always just one really big ass pimple on a really prominent part of my face. But I think, damn, like that's, I have this one pimple because I ate that bag of gummy bears last night or I bought peach rings or something like that. And I don't think a lot of people notice the connection between the fact that what they're putting inside of their body, that gelato, that bowl, those bowls of cereal, all of that is affecting what you show on the outside. So if you see somebody with shitty skin, you can bet their diet is garbage. You're around somebody with bad breath, you can bet their diet is garbage. <laughs> like, if you're not eating anything, if you're fasting, then that's when your body has time to really like look at what's inside of it. And it can say, okay, we've been holding on to all this inflammation, all of this junk that's in our joints, all of this junk that's, you know, that we're holding on to in our, in our digestive tract and we can get rid of it. And there's, you know, there's a lot of science behind what happens when you fast. And I, I, I just think that the benefits far, far outweigh anything that you can get from, you know, trying to lose weight, eating six times a day. I mean, it's just, it sounds stupid. Yeah. Eat more to lose weight, eat more and then get smaller. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is weird. Like, America does have a weird thing about what you were talking about, the disconnect. You, I mean, you are what you put into your body because it, it yes. passes through. It passes through in many ways. You, you shit it out, you piss it out, and it might come out in a pimple and a nasty-ass fucking bump on your face. Like, I, I, I strictly believe that. And as far as – I do want to talk about that too because, like, as far as diet – what is your, when you do a fast, like, okay, right now you're fasting, you'll eat at what time? Um, so when I break a fast, usually I, I never eat in the mornings, right? Just because that's what's easiest for me. Right. Okay. Um, I usually, so say it's a regular school day, right? And, and I won't even get into like Rona style, but like say it's a regular school day and I'm going to campus, um, Wake up in the morning, have some coffee, and then at, um, let's say, after school when I get home at like 5, 5.30, 5, 5.30, that's generally when I would have my first bit of food. 
So I'll have black coffee in the morning, water throughout the day, and then uh, I eat around 5.30. And that'll be my one meal of the day. So you eat one now, meal? Once a day, bro. Once a day. That's oh, all I thought I you were doing. And I, make, and I make sure that when I eat, I eat fat. I eat really, really well. I make sure that I cook my steak in butter. I make sure that my vegetables are cooked in bacon grease. I eat bacon not because it goes with the dish, but just because I like it as a condiment, bro. You ever chop up bacon and put it on vegetables? Chop up bacon and put it on anything, and it's yeah. delicious. Put it in my salad. I mean, put it in your salad. Put it in anything. And it's really, really filling. It's hearty, right? You have it. You like it. It's salty. It's fatty. I... I'm only eating once during the day. And because I'm only eating once, I want to make sure that what I eat fills me up until the next day at five o'clock. When, when we started getting advice about eating less and moving more, they also kind of sneakily marketed eat less, move more and eat more often, right? Hence the two, you eat every two or three hours, make sure you have your snack blah, 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 all that. When, when you fast, you condense all of those, you know, the snacking periods and your breakfast and your lunch and, to, and your dinner into one meal, two meals if you need it. But me personally, man, I just go into one, one meal is really all I need. If I start eating more than one meal, bro, I, I feel it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I've been at the kitchen table. I feel inflamed. Think of it as that after Thanksgiving, uh, that after Thanksgiving feel where you're stuffed, right? It's not, it's, it's like you're, you have that brain fog, right? Where you can't think as sharply as you normally do. And your belly feels like it's about to bust, right? That's inflammation. And I, when I eat two times in a day, man, I definitely feel inflamed. So that's like the stomach inflamed or that literally is inflammation like when you are stuffed? Is that just a, or is it the food just sitting there? What do you mean by that? Like I think when it comes to inflammation, it shows itself in different in different forms. So think of it, inflammation could be like when you wake up in the morning and like your back is a little stiff, right? right. That's inflammation in the joints. Gotcha. When you have a pimple, that's inflammation around the skin, right? When you have, um, you know, when you, the way we think about it, it's like when you eat a meal, you have inflammation around the belly. That's literally like a slowing of how quickly your blood moves, right? It's, it's literally like the cell walls, like getting bigger, they become inflamed and it's harder for the blood to pass through because generally speaking, what we eat will have an inflammatory effect. So think about this. Let's let's stay on the Thanksgiving uh, topic. During Thanksgiving, what do we eat? We eat macaroni and cheese. We eat stuffing. We eat uh, dinner rolls. We have turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pie, (laughs) right? Pecan pie. All these things have an inflammatory effect on the body, right? It's all processed. It's all, think of sugar, right? If you look at sugar in the wild compared to the sugar you have in your pantry, it's completely different, right? There's no, there's no such thing. Like sugar in the wild in like crystallized form takes an immense amount of processing to get to. 
if you have sugarcane juice, you were in Brazil, weren't you? You went to Brazil like two or three years ago for your uh, buddy's a, wedding. Yeah, it was a year ago. Um, okay. Yeah. Did last. you have a sugarcane juice? I think there was some at the. I don't remember, man. We we did a lot. <laughs> it was we did a lot. I'm pretty sure we did though. I don't remember yeah. that specifically though. It's super popular in Brazil, man. So açúcar de cana, the. I think it was açúcar de cana or cana. I forget, man. I'm switching. I, I'm forgetting my Portuguese. But whatever, man. They they use the sugar, like the the roots, like the sugar cane, the actual stock, and they grind it down. They grind it down, and the juice comes out, and then there you get sugar cane juice. But to make the crystals, I mean, look up a YouTube video, man. There's a how it's made about you know sugar cane, and it's just. This process so far removed from what it is in nature. All of that stuff, sugar, flour is very similar. Any sort of bread, right? Think of wheat. Wheat in nature is the stalk. It's like it looks like a leaf that comes out of the ground. When you get that and you have to mill it down into a powder and you have to mill it into a powder that has an extended shelf life, like the flour that we eat, that we put into rolls, that we use to bake the crust on the pecan pie. That is all processed. And when you consume anything with flour, anything with sugar, the things that are the staples of the U.S. diet, right, the standard American diet, that stuff is inflammatory. And inflammation will manifest in many different forms, on the skin, in the joints, in the belly, in your thinking Bro, it messes up your thinking. You've experienced brain fog, right? Yes. How you feel after you eat five bowls of cereal? Foggy. I mean, can you think straight? Uh, yeah. No, I'm actually learning a lot. I, I never really thought about the the inflammation manifesting in so many different ways. And you were talking about the pimples. I used to get really bad breakouts, and I don't really get them as much anymore. And it's it's starting to make a lot of sense. I, I taught that is 100% me right now. Like less yeah. breakouts. You, you, you know, T, when it comes to, to inflammation, inflammation and calories, right? Just the whole topic of weight loss and, and, and health, people like nuggets. They like it when it's really simple. So when, when the Obamas were back in office, right, Michelle was all about, you know, move, eat less, move more. And when you can break it down into a little sound bite like that, Everyone says, okay, that's how it is. They just kind of accept it. But when you have to start describing it and when it takes, you know, an hour long conversation to understand that like, oh yeah, sugar isn't really natural. Like sugar's kind of weird how they get it from like the stock that look, kind of looks like bamboo and they grind it down. Like that's kind of weird how they do that. To explain that takes a lot more time and effort and a whole podcast medium mm -hmm. to as opposed to eat less, move more. Right? Right. And and inflammation is the killer, man. Like that sugar causes inflammation and inflammation, there's a lot of I've heard a lot of uh podcasts and I've seen a lot of research that says things that says specifically that most of the what what are the four ways that you're likely to die, right? The four biggest diseases, it's diabetes, heart disease cancer and Alzheimer's, right? Mm -hmm. um, Alzheimer's, from my understanding, is being called type 3 diabetes. It's, it's when your brain can't process um, 
glucose or something. Well, I, I, I don't quote me on the science, man. Um, I'm just a guy who's, who's passionate about it. <laughs> but I've heard people call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. So you die from Alzheimer's, which is a disease of too much inflammation, right? Your, your cells are inflamed. Your blood vessels are inflamed. The brain is inflamed, man. And you can't think straight. You can't remember things with Alzheimer's. Cancer. There's an interesting, um, an interesting theory about cancer and fasting. Uh, when it comes to high blood pressure, all of that stuff comes from inflammation. The top four killers in the United States, not you know, discounting COVID and car accidents, the top four disease killers all come from inflammation. And when you fast, you lose out or like you, you, what's the opposite of inflammation? You don't feel inflamed. You feel uninflamed. Well, it's more of a normal. You feel good. It's more of a a natural. Well, there is a word I'm looking for. I can't really think of it, but instead of inflamed, it's just more of a, it's optimal. Yeah. Normal functioning state of being, I would say. See, I'd like to go back just to that bit about cancer and fasting. At the beginning of this conversation, I told you about that first episode I heard with Tim Ferriss and Dom DiAgostino. Dom DiAgostino spoke about something called the Warburg effect, which, again, there's probably a lot. There is a lot more science involved. But this idea is that cancer cells also need food in order to survive, right? And when you eat one of the three, so there's three macronutrients, right? There's protein, fat, and carbohydrates. If you eat protein or uh, carbohydrates, your body eventually turns it into glucose. And cancer cells can live off of glucose. They like glucose. When it comes to fat, if you eat off of nothing but fat, the way like Eskimos would eat, if you eat nothing but fat, then your body can live off of fat and it won't turn it into glucose. It turns it into ketones, which is why the ketogenic diet is called ketogenic because keto ketones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got I'm following when you following me yeah. when you fast or go on a ketogenic diet. You can survive off of ketones, but this Warburg effect that I heard spoken of, it says that cancer cannot, cancer cells cannot survive off of ketones. So the, the, um, like most people who do podcasts, they always say, look, I'm, uh, I'm not giving you medical advice. Don't sue me. Right. But eventually throughout that conversation, Ferris asks the Agostino about wanting to prevent cancer and wanting to extend life. And the eventual reason why I wanted to try this five-day fast was the Agostino saying, if you're interested in prolonging your life and not getting cancer, the single best thing you can do for yourself is a five to seven-day fast three to four times a year. And again, I, he, he was saying very specifically, like, I'm not making recommendations. I'm a researcher. I'm not a medical doctor. Go talk to your own doctor. But, I mean, I, if someone says that shit in the podcast, I mean, of course I'm going to try it. Right, right. So that's what I eventually tried, and that's 
how how I've been living my life for the past four years. Four years? Yeah, I guess four years since 2000, since fall 2016. I've done a five to seven day fast three to four times a year. That's inspiring. I mean that. Well, you can do it, man. My my only concern, and this is kind of my next question or not question, but something I, I want to open up to because I work out every day. Do you work out, by the way? Or how often do you work out? Uh, well, I've started daily now. Okay. Um, I, I used to work out three to four times um, a week when the gym was open. And now that the gyms are closed, I, I don't have access to, you know, the, the heavy weights and the, the bigger movements. I can't squat. I can't do power clean. I can't do deadlift. So because I can't do that stuff, um, because I could do that stuff, I would work out three to four times a week. But now because I can't do that stuff, I'm working out a little bit more. So I work out, you know, six to seven times a week, sometimes every day, switch, switch up what I'm working out mm-hmm. daily. And I guess what's I'll, the question? Well, you want to know if you can work out faster? Well, I'm pretty sure you can because I've done it. But for me, I do a lot of weightlifting. I do a lot of boxing. I run up. I mean, I do a lot of intense workouts, probably four or five times a week. And I think that's why I get a lot of like I get hungry really quick, and really fast after workout, and I'll stuff my face. And that's why it's often hard for me to do 24 hour fast because my body is, you know, just fiending for that, I guess, recovery meal. And sometimes I skip it, but then I'll pick out on breakfast and crash. Mm. So what I guess I'm I guess I'm more so looking for a recommendation. If I'm gonna be doing heavy lifting, I mean, when you were doing that, or if you even have any, I guess, suggestions around that, when do you think uh, is the best time to eat if I'm gonna be working out like that? And fasting. I mean if you're going to work out and fast, if you want to work out faster. So the way it worked for me was like, like most things, it's, it's a scale, right? It's a, it's a growing scale. So initially I thought, okay, I'm going to fast for 13 hours, right? I'm going to sleep for my eight hours and then I'm going to skip breakfast and make sure that it's not like breakfast isn't the first thing I eat, right? So I went from 13 to 16 to 18 to 20. And then I said, all right, I can do a 24 because I've already done 20. And then from there, I scaled up to 36, 48, so on. When it comes to working out fasted, um, the second fast I did, I remember the same thing of trying to work out. I'm gonna, I said, I'm going I'm to do it. And I went at the time I was going to CrossFit. And I went to a CrossFit workout fasted. And the first time I, I, I went... At towards the end of the workout, similar to my first fast, I started to feel a little lightheaded. I started to feel dizzy. And I thought, damn, am I not drinking enough water? What's the deal? The deal is salt. You lose a lot more salt when you're on a, a low-carb diet, when you're on uh, when you're fasting, you lose a lot more salt. So the third fast that I did, the third five-day fast, I would continue to work out and I would start to have uh, salt licks, basically, right? Hey, get get the whatever salt. Obviously, like if you get like the pink salt, the Himalayan salt, whatever, you know. Right. If you get like the Morton's table salt, right? Make it accessible for people, right? If you if you can afford the Himalayan salt, get the Himalayan salt. <laughs> At the time, I couldn't afford the Himalayan salt, so 
so I just had the Morton salt. I put a little bit on my uh, palm, lick it, and then I, I, I wouldn't get lightheaded. I've not been lightheaded during a fast since those initial ones back in 2016 and 2017. Um, my answer to you is kind of, I'm trying to give you a, a shorter answer here. My long-winded answer to your question, how would you work out fasted the same way I work out not fasted? Right. I mean, just understand that you've got to build up to it. Right. Understand that you're going to work out. And up until now, the first, you know, 30 something years of your life, you've worked out and then you've eaten after. Like, that's a whole lot of conditioning, bro. You thought that that's the way it's supposed to be for the you know last X amount of years of your life. So to all of a sudden break that is kind of strange, right? You're, you're not used to it. It goes against what you're programmed to do. So when, when you want to do a 24-hour fast and still work out in the middle or work out during this fast, you have to time your fast so that you work out towards the end of your 24-hour cycle. So let's just say, for example, like my situation right now. I finished my one meal yesterday at 5 p.m. And when we're done with this conversation here, I'm going to eat my first meal of the day, my only meal of the day. If I wanted to work out, right, and if I was a total noob at this, I would start working out around 3 o'clock, 3.30. I would work out for the hour that I normally work out, I would shower, and by the time I was done with working out and showering, it would be close to like 4.30, 4.45, and it would be a lot easier for me to go those last 15 minutes before I can finally, you know, before I can finish my 24-hour cycle, than it would be, you know, I'm going to work out at 8 in the morning, and I'm still going to wait six hours before I eat again, especially if I'm new at it, right? For me, it's just a lot easier, man, like, I've, I've been practicing. So for me, I'll, I'll, I'll just work out like normal. And I've, I, I guess I've gotten used to not, um, not eating right after I work out. Right. So I think you, you kind of hit it right on the, right on the mark is scaling up to it. So for me, 12 and 16 hour fast are pretty ideal for me. I yeah. guess I would probably start frequent doing more 24-hour fast and maybe doing light workouts because I could imagine myself getting lightheaded. I don't know. That's just my assumption. But I think scaling up to it is probably the best way to go for anybody who's going to fast. And again, we're not doctors. We're not, we don't have, you know, scientific studies around us. So anybody who's going to fast definitely should consult with their doctor if they have any concerns, health concerns that are. I, I would add to you, especially if they're on medication. Yeah. Like if you're on medication, fasting messes with that. If if you're obese, like, man, if you're obese and you're not on medication, then you owe yourself a fast. Uh, I mean, that's something that, I mean, again, I, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not going to recommend it. But Jesus, what do you think that fat is? Like <laughs> people who are walking around with, you know, at 300 pounds and they got rolls hanging over their, like, hanging over their jeans, hanging over their waist. Like, what you think that's for? Looks? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's energy. 
And, yeah. and I think that, um, you know, the bigger you are, the easier it is to fast, right? The first day sucks, but when you, um, when you get past that initial kind of shock of like, damn, I'm not eating every, every two hours, then you realize like, yeah, actually I can go through it. You know, T, you're, you're talking about going a, a five-day fast and wanting to do another 24-hour fast. Let me tell you, the thing that really made fasting easier for me was understanding a little bit more about hunger. That was my a next of, question. I'm, I'm it, glad you're bringing this yeah. up. Um, no, go ahead. I think you're going to answer it anyway. Go ahead. My, what made things so much easier was when I understood a little bit more about hunger. So, for example, when when I tell people that I haven't eaten all day, I'm not going to eat till 5, 6 o'clock, right? Say I'm at the school. I tell people at lunch at 12 o'clock, Jacobs, you're not going to eat lunch? Nah, I'm going to eat lunch when I get home. But then that's 5 o'clock. You're not going to eat all day? And, and they seem shocked. And I think they seem shocked. And most people would be shocked because they think, when you don't eat and hunger arrives, hunger will continue to grow for as long as you're not eating. But the thing that made me like change it all was when I realized that hunger comes in waves. When I realized that if you just don't eat when you get hungry, that it eventually goes away. I think you, you've definitely, you're a writer, man. So you understand what it's like to get caught up in something that you really enjoy. If you get caught up writing something and you're in rhythm and you're in a flow that has you writing, you know, page after page after page, and you're looking at it and thinking, oh, hell yeah, this is good. This is good. That experience is called flow, right? When you're in the mental state of, I'm not thinking about anything else. Do you ever stop during that flow? Like where you've written six pages in an hour and you think like, man, I really got to go eat now. Right. Like Flow hunger state. comes and goes, right? It goes away. And I think for anyone listening and definitely for myself, I've had situations where I've been working on something I've been consumed or worried about something and I just forget to eat. It'll be a moment where like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. I can go for food. But as long as you don't just cave in to that first like, oh, I'm hungry. I better go eat before it continues to rise and I'm hungry forever. If you don't cave in to that initial bit of hunger, it goes away. It's a wave, man. Waves come up, they swell, and then they crash. <laughs> and that's really what hunger is like. There's a hormonal reason for it, like scientific hormonal reason. We don't have to get into that. Try it, right? The next time you find yourself hungry, T, and you say, damn, I really want to do this fast, but I'm hungry right now, go take a walk. Go walk the dog, right? And instead of, you know, grab some water, take a salt lick, and go walk the dog. And instead of eating, find yourself walking. Find yourself doing something else. And I'd be willing to bet to you'll see that your hunger, the hunger that you initially had that made you want to go eat, will probably have gone. 
So that is that sounds like meditation. It's kind of like thoughts, right? So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a quick step out of that and then go right back into hunger coming as waves. So when I'm meditate- I meditate too, so I'm with it. What's okay, up? Okay, nice, nice. So you, you'll get <laughs> yeah. you'll get this. You'll get this. Mm-hmm. When I'm meditating, or especially going back to when I first started meditating, thoughts would come and go. And one of the things you'll hear, and some some people have mantras that are centered around let it pass. That let it pass is let the thought pass because what's really going through your mind during meditation or what you should be focusing on is nothing. Essentially, you should be focusing on your breath, just breathing in and out, right? So as you're breathing in and out, you're letting the thoughts pass and you're letting the breath pass and the thoughts go away. That's kind of been my experience with life in general is any disturbing thoughts, they'll pass. Now, going back to hunger, the morning the morning surge or the morning urge, whatever you want to call it, to eat, that passes for me during meditation. Because, trust me, I want my oatmeal. I want my bagel and banana with peanut butter on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I want my snack before I start writing. However, you were talking about flow state. I get that flow state by about nine o'clock and sometimes don't eat until 12 or one. I mean, that happens probably a couple times a week, but the wave definitely will rise. And once I sit my ass back down and focus on writing, it goes away because it's almost like I channeled that desire of hunger to a desire to create. You know, it's like you, you have to you have to focus on the, the desire to do something in a more progressive way or in a progressive action. So in a I, more creative way, I'd argue. Yeah, because you right? I mean because what you're you can create or consume. Yeah. Because what you're really doing, like especially if you're giving into that hunger surge, you're kind of letting the body take over you. You're letting the body say, This is what we're doing. We're gonna eat, boy. Sit down, let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. but if if you can be a lot if I mean some people are better, especially when they meditate. You can be a lot more aware of how to channel that desire. And for me, it's all about taking control of that desire and putting it to a more creative way. I mean, I would say for people who don't have creative instincts, I mean, go talk to a friend. Like you said, take a walk, go clean something, do mm-hmm. some more work. I mean, it. And you, you said something that was really helpful because I never really realized this, but yeah, Hunger doesn't grow. I mean, you get very, very hungry, but I think that's just a mind thing. Would you agree? Yes. Like, I don't think I used to think that oh, I'm going to be hungry more and more and more if I keep, you know, pushing out this hunger. But what's really happening is you're just kind of letting it like the ocean. The waves just come and go and they crash and they go away. It's nothing that's like really growing. It's not like you're going to eat a pig at the end of the day. I mean. Yeah. Oh, definitely, man. Again, that's that's just the biggest misconception that I've come across when it comes to hunger. People think it just continues to grow. They think if I don't eat, I will be hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for the rest of for the rest of today. And eventually it's going to become unbearable when really it's it's um, it's a hormonal response. Right. The, the hunger hormone kicks and it says you're hungry. Because that's how, you know, you've, you've, you've operated for certain years, right? Like you've, you've had breakfast upon waking 
for the past, you know, 30 years, 25 years, 20 years, whatever. And when you decide to one day stop that, your body looks at that and thinks like, hey, wait a second. Remember, you were supposed to eat a little while ago. It shoots up that hormone that, yeah, you got to be hungry. And when you don't cave into it, then it's just like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to eat today. And you don't eat. Um, it, it's, you're, you're talking about it in terms of meditation. And I, I, I see the connection, man. It's so parallel that you, when you're meditating and you're trying to focus on your breath, all these other thoughts come up. And every once in a while, you let them kind of like run your thinking. Right. Right. It's like you're meditating and then you think of, damn, I got that one deadline that I got to meet or that one like student in that one class that I can't stand. <laughs> and then, <laughs> well, it's plenty of them. Hopefully he ain't listening. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. I mean, if any of my, my students wouldn't listen to this, but if any of them are, it's not you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get caught up in a thought. And the idea uh, and, and the regular person, you know, 95 percent of the population that doesn't meditate and even that 5 percent that do meditate well, they still let that idea take them and they get caught up thinking about it. And then the difference is when you meditate, you realize, like, wait a second, I, I don't want to think about that. I should be focused on my breath. And similar to how hunger will come up and it kind of peaks at one point, at one point you'll feel your stomach growl. Mm -hmm. But as long as you, it's like, Oh crap, I'm hungry. And then you remember, I, I don't need to eat right now. I said I was going to do a 24 hour fast. And then you just refocus onto whatever it is, um, whatever it is you're supposed to be doing at that moment that really isn't eating. Right. And I, I would almost say, now that I'm thinking about this a lot more because this conversation is really kind of inspiring me to do that five day fast or at least work up to it. Maybe I'll get to it by fall time. I don't know. We'll see. But I think that it would be best to have a plan, right? Because I, I mentioned monkey mind and even though I can control my monkey mind a lot better now, I think that if I just let myself do a five day fast, I would probably find myself in this spinning kind of state of being and, if I don't have anything planned to do that's progressive, then I could probably easily either fail or just drive myself crazy in hunger. So yes. kind of having like, let's say an agenda for the day up until the point where you eat again or drink water. And I would almost say, make sure it's progressive. And maybe I'm just telling this to myself, but if anybody listening, planning too fast, have a plan for action because if you let your mind kind of take you over or that hunger take you over, I don't think it's going to be as fun, in my opinion. <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm sorry. See, I didn't catch that, man. I'm walking around, bro. I think, you know, I, I, I was getting hungry, but I knew I had to talk to you. So I started walking around. <laughs> so so I'm walking around and listening to you and you kind of cut out there. Oh, no, I was saying um, if if you're going to fast, have a plan of what you're going to do during that fast. So that you're, I, I heard that part, yeah, and, and and I absolutely agree with you. See, otherwise other, it's not going to be fun. I mean, I don't think it's going to be fun if you if you just kind of let yourself <laughs> go with that, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's not really supposed to be fun, but I mean, think of it like this: when when you're boxing, I mean, it's hard, right? Like you're say, I don't remember when the last time you fought someone or you sparred with someone was, 
But like when you're sparring with them, if you're sparring with someone who's a better boxer than you and he's fucking you up, like it's not fun to take shots to the face. Like getting punched in the face is not fun. No. But the act of boxing to be in the ring after you've been punched in the face a few times, you're like, all right, I, I enjoyed that. And it, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it fun, but I'd say that the, the process was very much enjoyable. See, the other thing that people trip out about when once they get past the whole like, geez, you didn't eat since yesterday, you're going to die. But once they get past that, you don't need to eat every three hours. The, the hunger is huge, right? People think that like, you know, I'm just going to be hungry forever. If they can get past that, then they think to themselves, okay, if hunger comes in waves, that's fine. But wouldn't you like not have any energy? Wouldn't you feel like tired and lazy and lethargic? And, you know, I've told colleagues that I'm, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to go this whole week without eating. And they all ask Jacobs, wouldn't you rather, um, fast on uh, like during the, the holidays, like when you have nothing to do or like, I don't know, I would just get so hungry when I'm, when I'm working, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it while I'm at work. And that's just another big misconception, right? That you can't work while you're fasting, that you're going to be in this like vegetative state where you don't want to move. You don't want to go anywhere. I mean, see, there's way more energy when you're fasted, way more. Once again, there's a pain period. So after the first initial like bout with hunger, then you're like, you're coasting, right? You will feel hungry, but it goes away. And when you have a plan or when you have to teach four classes a day, that, I mean, that's the perfect environment because I literally do not have time to eat. And mentally, I understand that I'm not going to eat for the next um, five days or four days or three days or 20 hours or whatever. And I think, okay, I'm, I'm not going to eat. So I have, I have to do A, I have to do B, I have to do C. And I, you know what? I don't have to do that one thing, but I probably should. So I don't think about eating. Talking about your five-day fast, when you decide to do it, I think for you, because you work from home and you work for yourself, it's going to be even more crucial that you decide what you're going to do during those five days. Make it a ritual, dog. Like before your fast, go out to like Korean barbecue or something like that and stuff your face with something. I mean, that's probably hard now because of the Rona, but I mean, stuff your face before the fast. And during the five days of your fast, remember that, one, you're not going to eat for five days. Two, hunger will go in waves. So you'll probably get hungry at some point. It'll go away. And I think to your point, have a plan. Have a plan for breaking your fast. Have a plan for each day that you're not going to eat because you will inevitably get hungry. What are you going to do? If you have a plan, then when you get hungry, you can refer to your plan and say, you know what? I said that I was going to do, I was going to go clean the garage. Or I said, when I got hungry, I'd go walk the dog. 
or I said during this five-day fast, I wanted to write at least three chapters, whatever it is. Having a plan is, that, that should be thing number one when you start thinking about a five-day fast. Yeah. And what, what about the, what about your sleep cycles? Has that changed or? So for, for me, because I work at a school um, and I, 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 because of the coronavirus, I haven't had to um, commute to the school. My sleep has gotten a lot better okay. because of it. But if you're referring to, say, someone who's just starting out on fasting, what's going to happen with your sleep? Um, I find that when I do a five-day fast, I do have trouble sleeping around day maybe three, day three, day four. Day four, there's a lot of excitement because day four is the best fucking day of the fast, man, because you know you're coasting, right? Like mentally, like I'm not eating until tomorrow. I, I don't need anything right now. Like your body is firing on all cylinders and you're deep into ketosis. So it's like your, your body's not burning any of the food that you ate three days ago. Like that shit's gone, right? Your body's working on itself. It's working on the body fat that you have. So you feel great on day four. The issue is that usually day three or day four leading into five, that's where you don't sleep as much because you have so much energy. And does it affect you? Like say, if you, uh, if you're, you know, feeding the way you regularly feed, regularly eat, see, and you don't sleep tonight, you feel like crap tomorrow. But if you're fasting and you don't sleep tonight, you don't necessarily feel like crap tomorrow because your, your body's like, your body's pumped. You know, you're excited. You're jacked, bro. Right. Think of it. Think of it like if you're a caveman and you're you haven't eaten in three days, would it make sense evolutionarily for you to get tired, for you to get lazy and sluggish for your your caveman ancestors to say, you know what? Like I haven't eaten in four days. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to get myself the energy. I'm not, my, I'm not going to do anything until food comes my way. It's like, they didn't have 7-Eleven back then. They didn't have the, the privilege. They didn't have the, the abundance that we have in today's society. For us, if at a moment's notice we're hungry, we can walk to the store and eat some, you know, high fructose corn syrup, you know, bleached wheat flour garbage, Right. And then that little, that initial hunger peak is, is, you know, it's satisfied. But our caveman ancestors couldn't do that. They had to ramp up all of this energy. They had to realize that, crap, if I haven't eaten in four days, if I don't go out and hunt something now, then I'm going to die. So it just, it makes sense that when you're fasting, there is a slight interruption of sleep. But, um, I mean, generally since I've started fasting regularly, you know, since 2016, man, like I, I never complain about sleep. Well, you, I, what, I, you know, I'm what's, sorry? what's interesting is that even when I do my 16 hour fast, mm -hmm. like I will only, I'll be up at like three or four o'clock in the morning, ready to go. 
off like five hours of sleep. Okay. So this is, this is, let's say I eat a meal at four four thirty, then I work out, and then by by four a.m. I mean for me it's a little different because I eat a lot more often than you, obviously. But yeah, by the time it's like five a.m. or I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I can't go back to sleep. It's like my body's ready to go, and this is like after consecutive. So let me correct myself. This is after consecutive sixteen hour fast because I'll do that for three or four times a week. And my body yeah. is like just, I guess, fresh, replenished and almost cleansed. And if I'm only if I'm waking up after five hours of sleep and ready to write, then I don't know. I almost I almost feels like the body is just has so much in its reserve at that point. And it really doesn't need to go back to sleep because I guess when it's normally resting, it's because it's tired of digesting all the bullshit I've put in it, into it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean. When, when you fast, so the, the natural cycle, if you look at, for example, in the United States, back in, you know, before the food pyramid came out, before the dietary guidelines came out in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, people ate three times a day and they never snapped, right? You talk to any, any old folk, any grandparents who, had, who lived, be, you know, before the 70s, right? Because 72 is when the dietary, the first dietary guidelines came out. So anyone who lived before then, they always had the, the, the mindset to not snack. They would always reprimand the children saying things like, you know, don't snack, it's going to ruin your dinner. And I remember when my grandparents were alive, you know, she'd tell me, you know, not, don't eat so much. You know, you, we're going to eat right now, right? Don't snack right now, you're going to eat. And I, I think... That there was this natural, you look at the rates of obesity back then compared to the rates of obesity now, it's like back then there, there were no like morbidly obese people, right? There was a few of them, but there weren't a lot of them. And one, they didn't snack. So what would happen is they would have their regular feeding cycle started at like eight, finished around eight. They have 12 hours of feeding and then when they went to sleep, say 9, 10 o'clock, and they didn't wake up or start eating until 8, their body would have enough time to burn that shit out, to burn what got put in to the body, right? The, the, um, the food that you eat. You can eat food and you can burn food or you can burn the fats. But if you're always eating, then your body is always burning food and it never has a chance to access the fat. And because we eat so much, we have so much food that we hold on to. And it's like, man, you can fast for a day or two and still not be, especially like the, the really, you know, the bigger people, the more obese people who are thinking about fasting, they can probably fast for 24, 48 hours and still not start burning body fat. Hmm. Because they, they, they've been eating so much food and they have so much food that they need to burn through before they get into um, burning their body fat. Yeah. And I, it's, uh, it's yeah, wild, man. I, I think the, um, the the snacking thing for me was one thing I've learned to cut and I'm still learning to cut that, by the way. So I'm not as I'm not as perfect as I imagine or say I am. But yeah. one thing, one thing I do appreciate you, Mark, and this kind of leads into my next, I guess, kind of where you want to take this. You tweet out 
kind of the same thing. And I'm like, you know, and you've been doing it for a while. And I don't know what you say verbatim, but you say, thinking about that snack, don't eat. <laughs> or you <laughs> yeah, say, uh, like you that. say, it's a daily reminder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you say, yeah. thinking about breakfast, don't have one or something. I'm like, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you like those, bro. I, I have a daily reminder on my Twitter. Um, Monday through Friday at two o'clock, it's always, it's automated. So I always tweet it out and it's daily reminder. You don't need that snack. Go drink some water. Yeah. Because oftentimes when we reach for a snack, we're not hungry. We don't need to eat. We ate an hour ago and I I chose specifically two o'clock thinking, you know, it's, it's two o'clock. People had their lunch hour at 12. They went back to work at one and then now they're back at, you know, sitting at their office, sitting at their desk and they're going to reach for a snack. But it's not the the snack that they really want. It's it's something else. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not them and I can't possibly, um, you know, imagine what they would want. But I can hypothesize with confidence that they're probably thirsty, (laughs) that the food, the food they ate was something high carb something that didn't have a lot of salt you know that's a big one see salt um salt has has been demonized when really uh, i think that's going to come out in the next in the next couple of years all of the limits that people put on salt that the government puts on salt that's going to disappear and i bet it's going to happen quietly too because the people who make these dietary guidelines they're not trying to get sued either and if They've been telling people for years, cut the sodium, right? Don't, don't, don't consume so much salt. That's too much salt. Uh, hide the salt shaker. They, if they find out in a couple of years, which I think they will, that actually you should salt your shit as much as you want to salt your shit, you know? Mm-hmm. If, they, if people find that out, they're going to want to sue whoever said I shouldn't put salt there because my uncle died from kidney failure. My other uncle had to go to dialysis or whatever. Like, there's there's a lot of weird dietary advice we're getting. And if you don't walk around the neighborhood and see all these fat people and think, like, you know, you can't think that they're all lazy, right? The way the dietary guidelines are set up right now, T, it's like, if you're fat, it's your fault, right? You eat too much and you don't exercise enough. But it's been that way, like, if you look at, like, you know, charts of how obesity has increased since the initial dietary guidelines in 1972, they've, they've gone up. It's like they put in the guidelines and people have followed the guidelines. They've cut out red meat. They've cut out cholesterol and they're still fucking fat. Is it their fault? Or maybe is it the advice we're getting T? I I think, um, I think that the advice has been fucked up. And I think when people, just to go back to what you're saying, I'm on a tangent, bro. No, go ahead, go ahead. To go back to what you were saying about about snacking, right? Generally around 2 o'clock is when people start to get bored at work. They start to get tired at work because they had a super carby lunch. And they think to themselves, you know what? I'm going to reach for that snack because it's going to give me energy, right? Instead of going for that snack, go for that water, right? Take a salt lick. Instead of, like what I said, put a little bit of uh, salt on your palm or on your finger and just lick the salt and go about your business. You'll see how 
the sort of that hunger you wanted or that, that, that hunger that swore you needed a snack goes away, dog. Goes away. I think the I think the snacking and for me, I'm speaking from personal experience and just kind of self reflection. I think it's a habit. I think it's a very, very bad habit. So I really like to look deep inside myself when it comes to breaking habits, traditional norms. And keep in mind, traditional norms are you watch TV. I mean, you're on social media. Any media intake, there's a lot of advertising with um, food. So you see it a lot. And I think that habit of seeing it, I mean, people don't really have creative ways to spend their time besides working and eating, right? Or it's time with people. So you get that oh, two yeah. o'clock, you get that two o'clock itch. It's like, of course, I'm going to do what I've always been doing, which is snack. And I think that's just a bad habit. And they don't really have another outlet. For me personally, that two o'clock itch to snack or anytime I want to grab a snack, it's a time for me to meditate on the go. And I guess I've been able to master meditation to the point where I can meditate at any moment of the day. And a lot of time it's mm. literally dropping the thought. So my habit to explain my habit of thought and kind of breaking the snacking, my snacking habits is you kind of have to look at it in terms of what it really is. Your body is craving. And I think it's just, I don't think it's really a craving all the time. I think like what you said, it's just the fact that you might be thirsty and what you really need to do is consume something else. And a lot of people yeah. take that that craving, that that bodily craving feeling, and say, "Oh, this is me hungry," so they go eat because it's a habit. Yep. It's a it's a it's a practice habit. It's a practice yep. habit, just as much as a practice habit of, you know, you doing something else, going to work every day. Um, yeah. And I think to break that habit, it takes you have to scale it. Like we were talking about earlier, you definitely have to scale it. You can't just I mean you can't just cut it cold turkey, but I mean, I, you, I, I'll, I'll argue with that. On I'll, I'll argue with you on that point. See, what the cold turkey? If you want to break? Uh, uh, well, uh, not necessarily about um about what you were saying before about breaking habits, but about breaking the snack habit. The easiest way to break the snack habit is to not buy snacks, <laughs> <laughs> right? And there's that. I don't know where that meme of Eddie Murphy came flying around. Like I don't know why that shit popped back up. But like Eddie Murphy pointing to his head, it's like you you can't eat snacks if you don't have them in the house. That's very right? true. Right? I mean, it, it's it's so easy because it's marketed everywhere, right? You're watching TV and you know something comes up for hot Cheetos or something comes up for Tostitos with their brand new salsa. And it's like it's it's ingrained in us, right? If we're consuming media all the time. If we're if we're walking past corner stores all the time, like for example, my kids, I teach in South Central, bro, and I mean that's it's, it's not the best it's not the best area financially, you know. They're not well off in South Central, and there's a corner store on every market, and on every corner store they got advertising for you know for beer, and they have it for chips, and they have it for candy, and you know these kids walk in, and what do they see? You know these kids walk in, they see, you know. Advertising for now and laters. They see advertising for gummy bears. They see, you know, hot Cheetos and shit. And when they grow up, they still have those habits. And then they pass it on to the to their kids because a lot of my kids. I mean, thank God, none of the ones that I'm teaching right now. But I, I'm I wouldn't be surprised of the 150 students that I have throughout all my classes if one of them ends up having a child at 18 
at 17. I mean, think about your graduating class. Think about the people you went to high school with. Like, there were some kids who had kids. Yeah. There were kids who had kids. There were 17-year-olds who had two-year-olds. And it's like, man, you have these really bad habits of snacking all the time. And not just you're not snacking with apples. You're snacking with hot Cheetos. Yeah. And then you were pregnant while you were snacking hot Cheetos. And then you gave birth to your kid. And then you still snacking on hot Cheetos. And then your kid grows up watching you eat hot Cheetos. And it just becomes this cycle. I think the snacking is the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak. If you want to like really make a difference into your into you know what you consume in terms of food and you're trying to stop snacking, just stop buying it. Right? I mean, what's your number one snack? What's your go-to snack, T? Right now is almonds. It's what? Almonds. Almonds. Okay. Right now. I mean, right now. As like right, <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So even with almonds, right? Like they're, they're not that bad. You know, like no one, I don't think people got fat eating almonds. Yeah. Right. But it used to be worse though. It used to have worse snacks. I mean, I can go on about that, but. Okay. So let's just say they're almonds. Why don't you just not buy them? Do you buy the Costco bag? I buy the bulk bag, man. I get the, uh, I get, I go to Winco and get the. (laughs) Oh, yo, I know Winco. Yeah. Oh man. I I miss the Northwest, bro. I'm uh, a, I remember, I remember Winco, and I, I know that you can buy in bulk there, Yeah. right? So what happens if, say, you go grocery shopping, what, once a week, twice a week, right? Let's say you only go grocery shopping once a week, right? And on Friday, you're going to buy your bulk almonds. Skip it this Friday. And then wait till next Friday to buy those bulk almonds. And see if you even remember to buy those bulk almonds. It's, it's a snack. It has the desire to snack has it says more about our our mindset than our hunger so i want to take not necessarily a, a step back but i i was so this is actually a funny story i was on a date with a girl a couple of years ago and we were talking about obesity and one ironic thing i think she brought up was that america has this like surplus of food and we're 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 obese like nat yeah. like we have a very high obesity rate but then we also have this crazy homeless pandemic or epidemic. So it's like there's a there's a big disconnect there. So one thing she corrected me on, and I was always under the understanding that being overweight, and maybe you can kind of correct me on this too. I, I thought being overweight was hereditary, meaning like if the parents are big, then the kids are going to be big. However, she said, no, that's environment. That's because they see... Mm and they grow up, I mean, maybe it's prenatal, like you were talking about the pregnant, if you're pregnant, eating Cheetos or snacking, then it's kind of like they're exposed to it in a prenatal stage. And then they're born, they're brought into this world, and here comes the nature versus nurture debate, or whatever you want to call yeah. it. So yeah, they're exposed at a very early age or stage, prenatal, brought into the world and seeing their parents and everybody else around them snack their handed snacks. So kind of going back to my point, she corrected me and saying being obese is not hereditary. It's an environment thing. Mm. So they're going to always be buying snacks. They're always going to be exposed to, it, especially if they're, you know, in, I guess, low economical areas or whatever you want to call them. Cause that's all they're going to see. So it's not going to be, 
I guess it's almost like a, it's kind of like a gray area between the nature versus nurture because if they're going to be you know, raised that way, then mm-hmm. obviously the environment's going to contribute to how they consume and what they consume, and it's going to show in their body. I mean, yeah, bro. It's it, there's no one factor. I think, I think that it's. Um, I, I think she's right, bro. That that it is a lot to do with environment. But I don't think you're wrong in that, you know, they were, it's, it's hereditary, right? Maybe not like, you know, there's an obese gene. I don't know if there's an obese gene, but I know, for example, your, um, your, your gut, your stomach has like bacteria in it, right? And it's not bacteria that like, you know, it happens when like you, you put your hand on the ground. Now you got to wash your hand because it's, it's got dirt and bacteria on it. Like you have gut bacteria, that's good for you, right? It's normal. Everyone has that. There's some of that gut bacteria is uh is 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 helping your cause, and as as an, a fully functioning adult, as an adult that's trying to procreate, right? Either the mother or the father. When you pass on your genes, your genes are affected by you know, who you are as a person by your body. And if your gut bacteria is, is a fucking mess, if your gut bacteria is used to living off of Cheetos, then when you pass on your genes, again, I'm not sure if you pass on your, your gut bacteria, but you're passing on the genes that are more likely to raise gut bacteria that likes hot Cheetos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It's, I mean, yeah. It's a combination, bro. It's hard to isolate. I think the human condition, we've always wanted to isolate things. We wanted to say that this causes that. This happens precisely because of this one thing when when really it's all interconnected and multifaceted, man. Yeah, I think, I mean, we could even have a follow-up, a quick follow-up on this podcast and kind of look at studies, but I don't really want to get too much into the science because... I think the science is uh, the science is great and anybody and one of the studies I actually wanted to talk about is there was one of the gurus I listened to on YouTube he was saying that you know the cells actually are better replenishing when they don't have the other energies I guess distracting them from digesting you know other foods outside the system because they, they kind of come off more toxic 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 if anything mm-hmm. but As far as studies go, I mean, I think there's a lot that kind of points to the evidence of cells being passed down and how cells Mm. actually learn to regenerate themselves, especially out of a healthy, optimal body. Yeah. And again, you you and I are are not, you know, qualified to discuss that. No, not at all. But I don't I, I think you're correct in that a healthy person gives birth to a healthy child. And I don't think there's much argument in the scientific community. If you want to pass on the best of you, your best genes, if your best genes are going into that sperm, then you better be in the best shape of your life when Mm -hmm. that sperm comes out, (laughs) right? (laughs) Bro, you know what's what's something that trips me out as an educational, from an educational standpoint, the amount of special ed teachers that have popped up in the past, 
I don't know, let's say 10, 20 years, since the early 2000s, we'll say, the SPED departments, special ed, has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger because the population has had more kids that are special ed. And we think, you know, in order to adapt to all these special ed kids, we got to make a bigger special ed department. But then no one's asking why are there more kids with ADHD? Why are there more kids that have processing disorders where they can't just hear something, they need to see it? Why are there more kids who, who have anxiety disorders? What's going on with this? No one's asking those questions. We're just kind of realizing, okay, there's a lot of kids who, who need special ed, so let's get more special ed teachers. I think, T, if you look at the last 20 years of United States, of, of, of people procreating in the United States, the people who are procreating are not the healthiest, right? They're obese, right? How many, they talk about dad bods. Why did the dad bod become a thing? Like because they dads in the United States, yeah, they glorify it. And, and dads in the United States are generally fat and out of shape. And that's the man who spawned you? Like, you came out of his nutsack? Like, <laughs> <laughs> bro, you... You know, that, that, oh my God, like that man looks horrible. That man doesn't look like he can run a mile. He doesn't look like he can lift something up the stairs, but he gave birth to you. So that kid has a processing disorder. That kid has a ADHD. That kid is dyslexic. That kid has something that puts him into special ed. And again, T, there's, there's a lot of financial interests involved that don't want these studies to come out, but Man, the, in the future, see, by the time you and I have kids, by the time we're grandparents, there will be evidence that says during this time from 19, you know, early 1990s or even before that, say from when the food pyramid came out, when the obesity epidemic started in the United States up until, you know, when you and I are grandparents or up until this time, let's say 2020, these past 50 years, the rate of special education went up, the rate of obesity went up, and the amount of garbage that people were eating, the high fructose corn syrup, the bleached niacin or whatever, the enriched wheat flour, the cereal, the gelato at one in the morning, the gummy bears, the peach rings, the amount of food that we ate there went up. And so did the amount of dumb people. And I shouldn't say dumb people. So did the amount of what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? The amount of obese people, the amount of, let's say, people with disorders. Dysfunctional. Right? Dysfunction, we'll say. Dumb, that's rude. I shouldn't have said that. But you get what I'm, what I'm getting at. I mean, I think you could say dumb people. I don't think that, I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not victimizing are, anybody. Some people are stupid, you know? <laughs> I mean, some, people, some people are stupid by choice, but some people are born with the, to those people who are stupid by choice. And it's like, man, when I taught in Inglewood, bro, I, ta I, ta I taught kids who were dyslexic. And I taught kids, that one of the SPED teachers pulled me aside at one point and said, look, Mark, what happens is these kids read at such a low level that we have to put them in special ed because when they're in a regular class, they, they fall behind. Right? They can't understand what the average eighth grader reads. We have to put them in special ed so that we can like scaffold it for them. 
And it's like, I'm talking to the kid. The kid's telling me to shut the fuck up. And he's, you know, clowning on me for how I look. And I'm looking at him like, bro, you, you know, I obviously would never tell him, but the kid can't read. And it's like, why, why can't you read when everything else about you seems, seems normal? You can't like focus on the reading. You're dyslexic. You need glasses. All of that comes from, from the parents, you know, not passing on the best genes. And then when they're born, it comes from their diet, which I guess you can argue as a 13, you know, 12, 13 year old, your diet comes in large part from your parents, right? You eat what your parents eat. Yeah. And I, I think going back to what you were saying about the financial interest, if you think about the mega corporations that run the media, the advertising hmm. that are kind of in the best interest of actually I take that back. They're not in the best interest of health. I mean, of course they're not going to allow advertisements to be put out there about better health because they also have financial interest in healthcare and healthcare doesn't mm. make money off healthy people, by the way, that's one of the big, right, things. Right. <laughs> it's like, they need sick people to make money. I mean, that's kind of how that healthcare system works. Um, Shit. And I think that's, that's sinister. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the studies, if there's not one going on now, you're going to see kind of the best studies I like to look at are studies that are done over time and not just like these incubator or placebo yeah. type studies that are kind of done all at once because somebody wants a quick, I guess, validation or some kind of, you know, we were psychology majors. So we kind of understand you're kind of looking for a yep. certain no, you're looking for a point. But when you have a behavioral type study that's put out over years, over decades, and you can actually yes. speak to the experience of certain people, lifestyles, those studies will probably hit best. And like you said, I think it'll be under the table. We won't see it. You have to actually go look for it. And it's going to be hidden, but hidden beneath all the bullshit that we yeah. regularly consume. Um, yeah. So, you know, T, um, just on that one more thing on that on that point, things that are hidden, right? Kind of like snuck in under the table. Do you remember a couple, let's say back even back when we were in college, bro, say 2010, cholesterol. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Were you supposed to eat cholesterol? I was always told no, keep it low. Like I had keep high... your cholesterol low, yeah. right? That was the advice. That was the guidance that we received from the powers that be. Here's something that a lot of people kind of sleep on. They don't know or they don't pay attention, but it's happening now. It just happened, right? Every five years, the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, is supposed to revisit the dietary guidelines, right? The food pyramid, the, what they advise, how they advise Americans to eat. Eat needs to be revisited every five years. That means in 2020, it was revisited. In 2015, it was revisited. In 2010, it was revisited. They revisit and they are supposed to revise it to reflect modern science. Hmm. And when we were in college back in 2010, cholesterol was still bad. Motherfuckers were eating egg whites, right? Egg whites and low fat everything. In 2015, cholesterol was left off the dietary guidelines. You can go on the USDA's website. You can hit Command-F or Control-Find, right? Control-F. 
on the dietary guidelines and type up cholesterol and it will not come up because they left it off. When they asked them about cholesterol, they said, yeah, we don't think it's a nutrient of concern anymore. Interesting. But, but what the, you know, people are still taking cholesterol medication. And it's like, again, like you said, there is no business, there is no market in healthy people, <laughs> right? These pharmaceutical companies need sick people in order to make money. And I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but my dad's taking cholesterol pills and I've been on his ass since he's been taking them. You know, ask your doctor why you are taking statins. Right. And I really I give him a real hard time about it. He gets mad at me. But I mean, again, there's no point. You're lowering cholesterol. You know what cholesterol does? Cholesterol helps your hormonal production. So one of the easiest links, like this was back, uh, I think 15 or 16, don't quote me, but when people were making, who are the people who make Lipitor? Uh, Pfizer. Pfizer company was, was selling statins, right? I think it was Lipitor. And at the time, Lipitor was the thing they were selling the most, right? Statins, lower your cholesterol, lower your cholesterol. And the number two thing that they were selling was Viagra. Cholesterol leads to the production of hormones, like the sex hormones, testosterone. So if they lower your cholesterol, right, your cholesterol goes down, the production of sex hormones goes down, your testosterone production goes down, no boner for T. And if T can't get a boner, what's he need? He's a little bit of that Viagra. And they would sell them to you both, dog. Nefarious, wow. sinister, bro. And you ask the modern, you know, you ask the average person on the street, is it cool to eat cholesterol? Can I have like four eggs? And I bet most people be like, no, nah, you can't have four eggs. And you ask, you tell those people, I'm going to have four eggs and salt them. And they're like, oh, my God, the cholesterol, your blood pressure, you know, the world's going to end. But really, cholesterol, no one's looking at anymore. And, and salt is something that you kind of need. You can't live without salt. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you bring up egg and salt. My one of the first things I was on, one of the first things I learned how to cook when I was growing up, especially during the summer times, was uh, French toast and eggs. So French toast mm. is egg battered bread, pretty much, or uh, the bread TK battered. special. Yeah. So you you talking about five days a week? I had like five eggs a day, and my mom used to say, you know, you 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 gonna raise your cholesterol because my dad had the same issues. I mean, he died of diabetes and uh, uh, kidney disease and a whole bunch of other complicated stuff. But, I mean, he was taking those cholesterol pills. But, yeah, I was always under the um, impression that my high blood pressure back in college was due to cholesterol. Or it was mostly due to stress as well and anxiety. But my misunderstanding of cholesterol, and I still don't really understand it. This is actually information to me. I was always told that cholesterol... Eating a lot of eggs and salt was bad for me, so I cut it down. So and and I bet the same if there if we have like a fictional doctor who would be looking over Terrell's diet in 2010 when he's in college, avoiding red meat, avoiding eggs, drinking every weekend, uh, having gummy bears and peach rings and you know the, the sour worms and all that, saying you know what Terrell that's fine as long as you work out. 
at least you're not eating cholesterol. You're not eating eggs and you're not eating red meat. And that same doctor would look at, you know, Terrell eating steak and eggs, you know, now that doctor would be like, yo, bro, you shouldn't have steak and eggs. It's like, what? They would just completely skip over all the garbage you would eat. Mm -hmm. It it just, again, man, like I, I, anytime somebody comes to me and says like, bro, but the cholesterol, well, you're going to have too much cholesterol. It's like, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. That was science that's, that was, that was valid in 2010, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Is, People are stuck you in can't have a, you, <laughs> you can't have a Mac from 2010 <laughs> without, you know, like, it's, it's insane, bro. It's insane. Yeah. So you got a lot of, I mean, I like, I'm going to listen back to this and I learned a lot today. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think about the misconceptions and especially with the information that's put out there. You're going to continue fasting. Obviously I'm going to keep you updated. I'm going to start tweeting more. I don't tweet. I don't communicate with people on Twitter that much. I'm going to actually start doing that a lot, a lot more often. Um, I think you should. What do you, especially during this fast, when I do the fast, I'll definitely be out there. What, where do you see yourself going with this fasting in terms of like, you can also put out your social media handle. I'll have it on my, on my website also. And so people yeah, can please, follow man. Mr. Mark Jacobs, but yeah. for people who are getting to know you now, listening to this, I know I talk a lot, but you know, you're probably going to be back on this podcast. Where can we yeah. find you and where do you see your fasting journey going from here on out? Like, where do you kind of want to, what do you want to put out there? Okay. So in terms of the, of, of the fasting journey, T, I, I'm, I'm not going to stop. It's, it's, it's with me until I die. Okay. You know? Okay. And, and the idea, <laughs> the idea behind fasting, again, the whole point is longevity. The whole point is not to die young, right? I, I, I really enjoy being alive and there's a lot of things to do. And I don't think I've done, you know, 2% of the things there are to do on this planet. So uh, I, I never understood when people would talk about, you know, living fast and dying young. I don't get it. You know, I'd like to live as slow as possible and die as old as possible with as much health as I can. You know, I want to get hit by a bus when I'm 130. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like that would be the best way to die. You know, I was just a, casually walking down the street and a bus hit my old ass. <laughs> you know, that's a like, way to go out. I, that's a good way to go out. I think, um, I think I'm trying to live, man. I'm trying to live and, and I'm going to fast four times a year. Um, when, uh, when the seasons change, right. When, when it's a new season, that's generally when I know it's time for me to fast. So we can talk, you know, after this, after this recording, but in September, right before my birthday on September 25th, I generally fast leading up to it. And that's my last fast of the year. Hmm. The holidays in November and December, you know, it's feast and fasting, right? Like you don't want to fast during the holiday. You want to feast during the holiday. So I'm going to, I'm going to have one more fast coming up in September. I'm not sure of the dates, but I would love it. If you can join me and my girlfriend, uh, we'll fast at the same time. I'm going to get like the, uh, hopefully I can get some people on Twitter to follow me into this fast. I've already got a few people like sliding into my DMs. Yo, thanks, dude. Like I did my first 24-hour fast. I did my first 48-hour fast. 
And you know what, T, like, like, like I said, when we started this conversation, I used to be fat and I used to try to do everything they told me and I did it and it never worked. And I was so frustrated and I lived with that and I dealt with it. It was just, it consumed me. I was always the fat kid at the party and, and I never wanted to be that way. And if I can prevent anyone from ever feeling that way, if I can help someone not feel that way, well then shit, I'm happy about that. Yeah. My social media is Mark Jacobs, M-A-R-Q Jacobs, like the designer, not as fashionable, not as gay, but easy <laughs> to remember. <laughs> oh, man. You'll be you'll be see, tagged you'll be tagged on this post, so they'll 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 see it. They'll see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I appreciate that, man. This has been a lot of fun. I hope we can uh, we'll do this again sometime. All right. Yeah, definitely, man. This is a uh, like I said, like I, I learned a lot, man. I mean, I'm gonna listen to this back, and you know, I won't. It doesn't sound like we'll be cutting out much. I think this is a very informative, valuable conversation. So, we'll, we'll definitely have more for listeners. As far as um, you, you said your Twitter is M A R Q Jacobs. M A R Q Jacobs. Yep. Cool, cool. And again, before we go, when are you doing this fast again? And is it five days? And it sounds like I need to start getting ready for this. (laughs) You should start getting ready for it, man. Five days, sometime in September. Generally, I I think it's going to be September 13th, around mid-September is when I'm doing my next fast. I'll get back to you on the dates, but, um, you know, we'll... We'll keep in touch, and I'll tell you the exact five days that I'm going to do it. I'm it's doing it. for the 25th. You'll do it, man. Yeah. I, I'm on record now. Now, now I got to do it. I'm on record. So You're on record. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, Let's do man. it. Let's do it. Well, thanks, man. I, I, I do appreciate this a lot, man. I mean, I think you're bringing a, bringing a lot of value to my Bud Talks podcast. I want to start kind of tying in and bringing people in that's kind of helped me a lot in my journey of, you know, kind of growing more into who I am as a person, as a writer, as a solopreneur, entrepreneur, freelancer, whatever you want to call it. And Mark Jacobs, again, man, you've been a lot of help. I'm glad you care. Like 110%, man. Thank you so much. T, thank you so much, bro. I'll, I'll come back whenever you, you'll, whenever you'll have me. Yeah, anytime, Appreciate man. This, man. Yeah. Good morning, good All evening, right, good night, everyone. Yeah.